Yeah, he, yeah, he, this coat is now in session. His honor, Judge Pigmeat Mark and Poseidon. It's just about ready to do that thing. I don't want no tears, I don't want no lies. Above all, I don't want no alibis. This judge is hip, and that ain't all. He'll give you time if you're big or small. Fall in line or this coat is neat. Peace, brother. Whoa, here come the judge. Here come the judge. Everybody know that he is the judge. Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cammy Black. Uh, we've got a bit of a different podcast tonight because we are going to be taking a deep dive into the world of uh, World Rugby's judgment against the Scottish Rugby Union for comments made in the run-up to Scotland's game against Japan in Yokohama during the World Cup. Uh, for um, well, I don't think there'll be many people that don't know this, but uh, World Rugby have fined the Scottish Rugby Union £70,000 and told them to make a meaningful apology in words to be agreed or dictated by them. I think we'll get into that later on. Uh, but joining me to unpick exactly what's gone on, it's a regular contributor to the podcast uh, and writer for both ourselves and the offside line, it's Ian Hay. Hello. Uh, and joining Ian myself, just to, mainly to make sure that Ian and, and, and me don't get into any any legal bother, uh, we, we thought we thought we should bring in an expert. So, um, expert in sports law and practice, uh, please welcome Nick Johnson. Hi, um, Nick. It's your first appearance on the podcast. I should have pre-warned you about this. Whenever anybody comes on the podcast for the first time, we like to ask them what club socks they would wear if they were selected for the Barbarians. Um, Edinburgh Academicals. Good choice, strong choice. I think we've had those before. I can't remember who, though. Remember. Oh, my dad's an Aki, so there's not really a choice there. No, there you go. Well, it, it makes a change to have a clear choice. Normally, people people these days go with one one sock per foot, so it's quite... We haven't checked in with you for a while, Ian. Have you changed? I can't remember what you chose initially. It was a couple of years ago now. Oh, I remember, was, um, it, you know, my great shame, uh, having never played sort of 15s for a club. I'd, I don't know. I'm from Camus Lang, so I'd maybe get some Cami socks or... Just, just some plain Nike ones or sockless, absolutely sockless. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's a good way. To go. I don't think anyone's done that before. Oh, there we go. Trendsetter could be a first. Uh, anyway, if you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us by email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. We're on Twitter at scottrugbyblog and at cammyback. Black, Facebook and Instagram as well, and you can visit the blog scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Um, there's lots of stuff going on, obviously, with European rugby this weekend. Um, there's stuff going on with Super 6, which we, we can't really cover on the blog, for mainly for logistical reasons, uh, although a couple, couple of people have asked us what we can do. Uh, Sandy Smith is doing his best to try and pick up and, and summarise bits of news coming out of there. But uh, for anything else, go to the offside line that Ian writes for, um, because their coverage is fairly comprehensive. Um, yep, um, I'll be doing Ayrshire Bills uh, on Saturday. Oh, very exciting. Big, big Gordy Reid. Yeah, got reading Peter Murchie. Um, I was at the Warriors Q&A on Monday night and uh, I was telling Nathan Bombrys about my, my nickname for Peter Murchie. Which is? Uh, the Merchandise. Oh. I've got to do it in that New York voice. <laughs> did, did, he, did he take it? Um, yeah, yeah, I think he, he enjoyed that. He said he was going to pass that message on. So uh, I'll get a chat with the Merchandise on Saturday. Yes, and hopefully, you... hopefully the banter machine that is Gordon Reed. Oh, then you'll never, you'll never get away. Oh, I hope not. I'll take. I'll make sure to take lots of iron brew for him. <laughs> um, anyway, back to the business of this evening. Anyway, um, so how did we get where we are? Uh, on the fifteenth of October, Alan Gilpin, who is the director of the World Cup, made the following announcement at a press conference, which was under our tournament rules. We are very careful that people behave appropriately, and as a result of that, we've referred to an independent disputes committee. The behaviour and comments of the Scottish Rugby Union. Um, this was after Mark Dodson made some comments about the fact that it looked like the um, Scotland game against Japan was going to be at risk uh, 
um, due to Typhoon Hag- Hagibis, which I must get that right because the Independent Disputes Committee did got the name of a, a typhoon wrong, and we'll come on to that later. Um, the um, uh, World Rugby were none too pleased. There were some other bits and uh, uh, comments that came out from spokesman and the QC, and again, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but Scottish Rugby Union came back with their own statement, which said, Scottish Rugby once again expresses its sincere condolences for the people of Japan uh, about the fact they were able to convey their best wishes directly to the mayor of Yokohama, which must have uh, must have been time well spent for him in the uh, during the disaster relief to have Mark Dodson uh, turn up at his door to try and um, spend a bit of time with him. I'm sure he had uh, other things better to do. Um, anyway, they, they said, following receipt of correspondence yesterday from World Rugby, Scottish Rugby confirms that it has received a notice of complaint from World Rugby World Cup Limited Scottish Rugby is querying whether the matter is an appropriate one for the bringing of misconduct charges. If misconduct proceedings are to proceed, Scottish Rugby looks forward to receiving a fair hearing in this matter. No further comment would be appropriate this time. So, last Thursday, World Rugby's Independent Disputes Committee issued its decision, uh, and as we said before, it required Scotland to pay £70,000. They they suggested to the disaster relief charity, I think, uh, and to make a meaningful apology to World Rugby and Rugby World Cup Limited for its misconduct in terms to be approved by us within 48 hours. Uh, We are nearly a week along the line. There is no sign of an apology, so this doesn't really look like it's going to go away. Um, Nick, it's probably worth just sort of checking out. I couldn't find the... Independent Disputes Committee on World Rugby's website, I assume, because it's not a standing committee. Is this something that's just convened? Yeah, it's not a standing committee, but there is something in the terms of participation for the Rugby World Cup that gives them the ability to set this up um, should it be required. Um, There was, um, I think you you tweeted something where we had a, a conversation on Twitter last week about the comments made by the SRU and some of the evidence given, and they queried the makeup of the committee. Well, they thought that the chairman and the other members of the committee should recuse themselves without giving any reason as to why. Um, they they got knocked back fairly quickly on that one. Um, so, I mean, Christopher Quinlan is basically the... Um, He's not the head council. There's a head council at World Rugby. He's right up there. Um, he doesn't actually work for World Rugby. He's effectively a volunteer. Um, he is a supremely qualified sports lawyer. He led a review um, at the British Horse Racing Association three years ago, looking at the disciplinary panel, the licensing committee, and the appeal board. Um, he also comes across, actually, as being... And I think it's reflected in the in the documentation produced by them last week. It comes across as being very reasonable and very sensible. Okay. Um, then then you had um, you had the other two members who Adam Castleton and I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head. Um, who I mean again, super, one Australian, one Kiwi, supremely qualified in disciplinary hearings and committees. Yeah, I mean I read this back because I think we did. I, I did say initially it didn't look like. Uh, the SIU had given any reasons for asking them to recuse themselves, but actually, um, um, who was it? Um, Quinlan, I'm going to say his name right through this. Christopher Quinlan gives them quite short shrift because it's not that they don't give reasons, it's just that he can't work out what they are because they sent him too much paperwork and didn't really annex it yes. properly. Um, yeah, and I mean, to be fair, the SIU by that point were using Harper McLeod and Bruce Caldo, and they are. But they're good lawyers, so I'm sure they wouldn't have put something in there without supporting evidence or without giving a reason. It's just, yeah, he, to wade through it and actually find the reason was going to be um, quite onerous, I think. Yeah, I think the quote, the quote there was, charting a course through the various SRU lengthy documents and attachments is not easy, it says. It, it, yeah. the, it did, I did wonder if maybe the SRU's defence at this point was just to overwhelm them with paperwork. <laughs> yes. I wouldn't put that past the SRU, though, would you, Ian? Uh, no, no, going for the sort of filibuster approach. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the interest, I think, for, from what I could tell, the argument essentially was that because you are associated with World Rugby, this is much better dealt with by arbitration rather than an internal mechanism of world rugby did i was that what you took away from that then nicks um well well, kind of i mean there is a 
most of these things within world rugby would usually be dealt with by arbitration and that's the SRU's or um, Harper McLeod's argument um, rugby world cup it's a slightly different situation it's outlined differently in the terms of participation um, I noticed in the SRU's tweet last week um, their slightly stroppy tweet about this that <laughs> Um, they think this is going back to arbitration. Um, I would have said, having read the ruling, that um, arbitration has been kicked squarely into touch. It's not going to arbitration. Um, I mean, I think, being realistic, I think the next um, step, should the SRU decide to appeal it, would be, go to, would be to go to CAS in Lausanne, to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, which is basically... Um, for anybody who doesn't know, it's where all the anti-doping cases and things like that go. Um, it's where that Chinese swimmer is at the moment. Um, they do a lot of cycling. They Basically, when everybody's chucking their toys out the pram, they attempt to sort it out. Um, I cannot remember, and having looked through, I cannot find a case where rugby has gone there before. Mm. And it's just... Because it kind of seems strange that if we just l- leave it where it is, then which is essentially where we are now, that, that SRU aren't apologising and World Rugby are saying this can't, seem to be saying this can't go to arbitration then. Where does it go? Other than World Rugby going back and saying, sort of upping the fine, I guess? Well, I did wonder if perhaps the SRU have, I, I believe from reading the offside line, that there is an SRU council meeting tomorrow evening. So I did wonder if perhaps the SRU have managed to get some sort of extension because this mm. is all going to need to be signed off by the council. Um, I mean, that's the only reason. My personal opinion is that the worst case scenario was that we could have been docked four points, which would have left Scotland in the position of needing to qualify for the next World Cup, Rugby World Cup. Mm. Um, so quite honestly, whatever they need to do to avoid that, they should probably be doing. And if that is apologising, then draft a decent apology. They probably don't want to use the SRU communications team for that. But draft, <laughs> a decent, draft a decent apology, pay the 70 grand and try and build some bridges. Yeah. Yeah, we might come on to the aftermath and some of the other wider behaviour of the SRU uh, later on. Um, I mean, I should I should clarify at this point that I mean, having gone through it, um, I'm not overly impressed with the way the SRU behaved. I do think that Rugby World Cup Limited, I think they've completely overreacted here. Mm, yes, I think. Um, that's, yeah, that's something we can. Know, I, think, I think I think there's more going on here. I'm getting the impression that Mark Dodson is clearly not popular with some people, and had it been somebody else who had behaved like this they might have been treated differently. I don't know. I mean, we don't know. We've got no precedent here. Well, well this but... is this is one of the interesting points I wanted to raise about the... If you look at the three people... Another, I mean, they asked them to recuse themselves as far as we can understand because it, it should be dealt with at arbitration as far as we can tell that was mm. the argument put forward. But if you look at the makeup of, of the panel and some of the points the SRU yeah. were raising, I mean, Christopher Quinlan, I don't think there's much of an argument there for him recusing himself on an individual basis although he was I will he did cite uh Richie Gray and Ross Ford in the 2015 World Cup before the cut that meant they were nearly missed the quarterfinal but I don't think we can say that makes him uh bias um although no, it was it as think, shocking a decision as that was I think we have to also um I mean for somebody like that um it can work both ways so it can be that they're so conscious of being biased against Scotland that actually they go the other way mm. um and I think I mean, I think, um, to be quite honest, I don't think we can have any gripes about the findings, especially because, um, you know, the second charge was found unproven. Yes. I mean, it's worth probably going going through the charges in a minute in a bit more detail and how how the reasoning went. Um, The other two on the... on, on the the panel or the committee, we've got Adam Castleden, who, um, just as a point of interest, this, this is a pro of nothing, did represent Israel Falau uh, back in May in the earlier stages yeah. of his uh, discipline. Not that it's got anything to do with here, uh, this at all, uh, it was just a point of interest. Um, and Nigel Hampton, who the only interesting thing I could find was that he looked like Santa Claus when I found him online. That's the yes, only... he does. He really does. Oh, who was that? Who was the guy from... Um, for like Bosnia or something that that took the um, 
took the death. Was it who took the death pill in the dock at the Hague? I can't oh, remember. Or was it Radovan Karadzic? That's it. Yeah, he looks a bit like Radovan Karadzic, but after a shave. Either this that is or a Santa very Claus. intellectual rugby podcast. Oh, right? oh yes, we're very high, bro, aren't we? Ian? <laughs> well, apart from in me, John, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the only thing, the only point I wondered about this was that you've got an Australian and a New Zealand rep, and one of the points yeah. the SRU make early on is, you World Rugby haven't done anything about Michael Checker. And and one of the charges that World Rugby effectively are bringing is that um, Scotland have said that the All Blacks are treated differently by World Rugby. So I, I don't think it engages them personally, but given they're representatives of those unions or, or, or are linked to those unions, would there be a case there, do you think? Or is, no. No. <laughs> no, I just, I just don't think so. I mean, to be honest, I actually tend to agree with the SRU. I think what Checker said was far... More, far worse than anything that Mark Dodson came out with. Yeah. Um, and um, the fact that, I mean, but then, I mean, we don't know what went on behind the scenes, so we don't know if he received a warning letter. And the point is made by um, Christopher Quinlan that they're not being asked to look at that. They're just being asked to look at these charges brought by Rugby World Cup Limited against the SRU. Um Tom English as well made, and it's made the point in the ruling that um, Parise should have potentially somebody should have had a word. Um, yeah. That again, I mean, I, I don't like the I don't like the reasoning that because he was going to play no far, further part in the tournament, they didn't take any action. Well, I mean, you know, as it turns out, Scotland <laughs> weren't playing any further part in the tournament, so why why are we all sitting here discussing that i don't think that's a, a good defense yeah i mean it, i'll come to you this unit this is a, i mean it's a disputes committee and like nick said it's not a standing committee so they although it comes in with the terms of reference for the tournament or or, or, the, or the, the agreement that these can be set up essentially it's 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 weighing on a dispute and what they've but there the, the seems to be weighted more to world rugby side of adjudicating for world rugby rather than being independent and considering both sides if they're saying well, well, well. The, the way they've dealt with Michael Check or the way they've dealt with Sergio Parisio has got nothing to do with this. That that kind of feels unfair, does it? What do you think, Ian? Um, yeah, cause especially because Parisio did. Um, I can't remember the exact quote. I can read it. I've got it here. Do you want me? To hear it? it said um, it's it's yeah. it's difficult to know that we won't have the chance to play a match against one of the great teams. If New Zealand needed four or five points against us, it would not have been cancelled. It is ridiculous that a decision of this nature has been made because it isn't like the fans arrived yesterday. It's ridiculous that there was no plan B because it isn't news that typhoons hit Japan. Sure, everyone might think that Italy versus New Zealand being cancelled counts for nothing because we have, we'd have lost anyway, but we deserve to be respected as a team. We had a chance to play in a big stadium against a great team. The alternative is plan B. When you organise a World Cup, you should have one in place. Yeah, because I don't, you know, Mark Dodson never used the terms ridiculous in anything he said. Um, and obviously that's quite strong language. Um, and, you know, he's, Parisi has directly mentioned New Zealand, as did Dodson. So it does seem like there's a, a disparity in in how the, uh, the World Rugby have reviewed the two statements. I mean, obviously, we've also um, mentioned about how... Uh, Mark Dodson in particular in the SRU or maybe a sort of persona non grata due to the, um, the mass power we had in vetoing the Nations League. Um, but no, it does it does seem like, uh, you know, there's it's sort of one shoe for one and one for the other. And, and am I misinterpreting this, Nick? This, 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 I mean, the word, is it the labelling that's misleading that it's a disputes committee? Because to me that seems like there should be a kind of 50-50 consideration of points or is it purely sort of to consider the charges brought against the Scottish it's Rugby Union? purely to consider the charges brought against the Scottish Rugby Union but I mean I think there is an element and again um, going back to Tom English and something that he wrote um, I mean I assume I don't know this for definite but I would assume that World Rugby they have a review of the tournament they go through everything that went well they go through everything that went that didn't work well and you have to look at the adequacy of the contingency planning that they made. Um, I mean, any review that they do do, they're not going to make it public. But there have to be questions raised that, you know, they knew about this. I was looking through it. So they knew that the typhoon was coming almost a week before it hit. Mm. Okay, they didn't know exactly where until the last moment. But it's not 
it just doesn't I've got I've got to I've got to quantify this I really don't like Mike Dodson but I think he had a, I, I mean I really really don't like him but I think he had a point you know this is and I certainly I don't think he phrased it well I think he came across as being a bull in the china shop and that's mm. a personal opinion but you know it's not good for a tournament of this nature and this size I mean it's a world cup and to have somebody go through on default because you can't reorganize a pool game. And I know everyone's going to start jumping up and down and saying, oh, it's not as simple as just moving it. And I think had the SRU approach been slightly different, you could have worked things out. But it, it just, yeah, I mean, I think you've got to look at both sides. And Rugby World Cup Limited side is, was their contingency planning adequate? Yeah, I mean, that's something we talked about at the time, that this, like you said, it, it, typhoons don't just appear unbidden on the coast. They, you know, it's, it was no, we were talking about this a, a good week beforehand. There was sufficient time to, to realise it was going to cause some disruption and to start talking about moving things. Um, and, and I think as well, I think there was an, an, an underestimation of the ability of Japan to be resilient to things like typhoons as well. I mean, yeah, I think to be fair, I mean, my sister was out in Japan um, working up until the quarterfinals and she, her comment back after she'd been quite rude about Mark Dodson was <laughs> that, um, it's obviously a familiar trait, um, but her comment back was that they knew it was going to be huge and it was an unprecedented size. But she said, you know, I mean, you could, look at it sensibly. She said the Japanese are prepared for this. They've got all sorts of infrastructure in place to to manage it and to make sure that things get back on track very quickly afterwards. But she did say, she said, the priority can't be a game of rugby. Mm. It's got to be, you know, getting your hospitals up and running, you know, getting the bullet train going, all this kind of stuff. And if you manage to get the rugby going as well, that's brilliant. But well, I mean, it's what you were saying in the intro. You know, I'm sure the mayor of Yokohama was absolutely delighted to see Mark Dodson on his doorstep when he was, you know, looking at the damage that had been done to his city. Yes. Um, it's worth probably looking then at the, the... There were three grounds that were brought. I mean, one one split, 2A and 2B. Um, the first ground that World Rugby brought, a World Rugby Cup limited, I think, it technically... Yeah. Although it's in, in effect, World Rugby. Um, ground one was were comments made by Mark Dodson in the Telegraph on the 11th of October 2019 and then the Radio 4 Today programme on the 11th of October 2019 and the Scotland team announcement at the press conference on the 11th of October 2019. We've then got Ground 2A, which were comments made by an SRU senior spokesperson, I think again in the Telegraph on the 10th of October. And then... Comments made by Nick DeMarco QC, who is acknowledged gave, gave the legal advice to the SRU um, in the Sun on the 11th of October 2019. So the, those were the three grounds that World, well, the three groups of incidents World Rugby were trying to build yeah. the case on. Um, ground one. Now I right think that ground one is the one that was made that was made out, which is the, the comments by Mark Dodson. Is that? Have I, did I understand that right? Yeah, I mean that. Um, so ground one, it's the. Um... Dodson said in an interview with the Telegraph, or is quoted as saying, um, that he believed the process was weighted towards economic powerhouses of the game, such as the All Blacks. Um, I think when you're, uh, sorry, I'm quoting directly here. I think Fine. when you're asking for someone to reconsider something as big as this, and we are trying to base the argument on the fact that there's the sporting integrity around this, if you're an economic powerhouse of the game, yes, I think it comes with more clout. It's not a tactful thing to say and because there was no precedent to this it's never happened before you can't prove that mm. if you're going to if you're going to make an allegation like that and say new zealand well just as parise did say new zealand would be treated differently you can't prove it so don't say it yeah it's, it's pretty straightforward and you know that that's going to wind somebody up and there's going to be a backlash against it um i actually thought because um so um, Rugby World Cup Limited, well, Brett Gosper, who is the chief executive of World Rugby, um, sent Mark Dodson a warning letter, well, an email followed by a letter, sort of the night of the 10th of October. So I think it got to him at like two or three in the morning Japan time. And this article in The Telegraph was published about half past five in the morning. Um, slightly unfair, I think, to include this in the charge mm. because I don't know if Dodson could have stopped the article 
No, because he would have he made his quote at that point, wouldn't he? And he and it, yes, it, it, to, yeah. to the journalist. And, um, I mean, I know the disputes committee. Some of the stuff they were asked to look at, they said, came before this warning letter. So as far as they were concerned, the warning letter had dealt with it. I would actually have included this in the area that the warning letter had dealt with um, because he, he would have already said it. He's not going to be giving an interview to The Telegraph at five o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning. Um, and I think, I mean, it's emotions were very clearly running high. Um, the second part of the charge um, the, the interview he did on BBC Radio 4, he should probably have minded his manners by this point. And he mm. again talks about sporting integrity. Um, you know, he they've had a legal opinion. I'm actually seriously impressed that they had the savvy to go to Nick DeMarco. And I don't know who recommended Nick DeMarco to him. Um, he is probably the top sports QC in the country. He's represented Joey Barton for his sins. He is an absolutely, <laughs> he is an absolutely superb lawyer. Um, I think his, I mean, his argument was that it's force majeure, so it's outside the terms of participation. The problem is that you still have to treat all the teams the same and games had already been cancelled. So, and they hadn't had the opportunity to postpone them. That's, I think, where that argument stumbled. Um but I'm, I don't think that the, SR, the SRU were up front and I don't think that they should be penalised for saying that they've been to a sports QC. Um, I would have any country in that position, I would have expected them to do the same. I'm quite sure that Japan were quietly consulting lawyers. Um, they just didn't say it in an interview with Radio 4. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think... It's, uh, but then at the end of the quote in this interview, he said, you know, we're not going to let Scotland be collateral damage for a decision that was taken in haste. And it, it's, I don't think it's there. And I was saying this at the time, there's ways and means to achieve what you're trying to achieve here. Scotland clearly wanted the game to be played. We needed the game to be played. Um, I think emotions got the better of a lot of people. The language used wasn't considered I think is probably the best way of putting it. Uh, Sorry, in particular, I find the use of the phrase collateral damage, you know, in, where you're in the midst of a typhoon. Yes, yeah, pretty insensitive. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's the one, I mean, this is the, the issue. I mean, it's, it's a, we should say for people not familiar with this, what the, the standard of proof the committee are dealing with is, is balance of probabilities, which isn't the same yeah. as criminal standard of proof of beyond no, all reasonable it's just, doubt. It's, just a, it's a civil standard of proof. That's it. So, so it's, you know, yeah. more, did, is something more or less likely to have happened or not? I mean, the one thing I, the, in terms of that particular wording, which the um, committee were quite keen on, um, or one of the things they found quite heavily on, and I'm just trying to find their particular quote on the use there. So it said, um, further to suggest the SRU was in some way collateral damage at a time when widespread physical destruction was expected and life was imperiled was an extraordinarily insensitive observation, to put it mildly. The, the difficulty I have with that is I don't think think you can reach that conclusion i think you can say it was clumsy i think you can yeah. say he may perhaps even misspoke um because it wasn't written down he's you know he's responding to a question and collateral damage is a i don't know it's a common enough phrase to say it's and something that you might say unthinkingly and, and, yeah, I, and, and I I, to, to go to the lengths of saying it was extraordinarily insensitive Observation. I think you could say it was insensitive and maybe misconsidered, but I, I think they've gone quite far with their judgment against I it. I think they've been a little bit oversensitive about it. Yes. And possibly a little bit politically correct. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think if it had been in writing, I would have, yeah, I would have had a different view because you would expect somebody to read that back and go, do you know what, actually, that's a stupid thing to write. Mm. Um, Given that it was said in a radio interview, it was the heat of the moment. Yeah, as I said, emotions were running high. I think the SRU by this point were getting quite desperate. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's clumsy. It's a little bit silly. He could have used better words. He could probably have been prepped better for the interview. 
but I don't think it's nearly as bad as the the ruling makes out. No, and I think there's the other issue that I picked up again in in, in one of the judgments where they they talk about the fact that you shouldn't view the words in a vacuum, but then they go on to kind of view them in a vacuum. Yeah. And, and what they also do is they start talking about the um, this unnamed spokesman remarks that they later go on to say can't be attributed to the SRU, but they you they then say these create the context in which the 11th of October words should be seen. Mm. So you, to me, you can't have it both ways. You can't say we're, we, we can't attribute that to them so we're dismiss- so we're not dealing with it, but at the same time, sort of take them into account when you're trying to work out how badly someone has misspoken. So this is my very personal opinion. Um, I think they know who the unnamed spokesperson is. They just can't <laughs> prove it. And I've got a pretty good idea. I know who I think it is, and I'm not going to say that right now. Um, they, yeah, they just they can't prove it. Um, yeah. But they know that it came from the SRU. Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, to be quite honest, it none of this should have got as far as this. And, I mean, to be fair, the Independent um, Disputes Committee gave the SRU an out. They've, I mean, one of the reasons it's taken so long to actually be concluded is that I think they were trying desperately to get everybody, both sides, to put their toys back in the pram and start behaving like grown-ups. Mm. Yes. Um, I mean, it's just because it does it does smell like, you know, Rugby World Cup Limited wouldn't back down. The SRU wouldn't back down. They finally got Rugby World Cup Limited to offer an out to the SRU, which given that you are talking about Scotland's qualification for the next World Cup being on the line, they should have taken it. Mm. Um, and now we end up here. And again, everybody's back. So everybody feels backed into a corner. God knows what the SRU are going to decide to do, but they've certainly burned a lot of bridges. But then, I mean, again, Rugby World Cup Limited have not come out of this looking good. No, and I think the the other the other thing, I, and I love this. This is just this is like something. I now I, I choose my words very carefully, but this is the 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 way. Well, sorry, the I'm trying to get the really careful way it says because I, I I admired the tactic a lot. Um, it was. I don't want to use the uh, top tomfoolery, I think, is the best way of describing it. To have a QC speak to the press <laughs> in a way that cannot be attributed to his client in any way. This is why Nick DeMarco is the top sports QC yeah. in the country. And, and what else I like about this, and it's not said in here, but the reason why you, it makes it even more harder to prove that it was anything to do with the SRU, the fact that he spoke to the Sun, <laughs> who've no relationship with the SRU whatsoever to speak of. You know, if it had been the SRU, it would have been the Scotsman or the Herald or the uh, or the Telegraph, but no, no, went to the Sun. Um, so no, I liked that a lot. It was almost like something out of a, out of a gangster film where the you know the the Godfather sends his his, his lawyer off to go and tap somebody up. Yeah. Can't be attributed back to him. And um, I do quite like the fact that the um, you know the. I was quite incredulous, actually, that the second charge included a charge against Nick DeMarco. Yeah. I was a bit like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty sure your jurisdiction does not extend that far. Um, I, I did think it was quite funny that he just ignored their requests. Yes. <laughs> just like, whatever. There's, there's, um, there's also a, a bit where you can kind of feel the, the committee's frustration where they said uh, they could character... So Mr. McLean, who was, I think, the one that was speaking to... Um, yeah. DeMarco said, characterize Mr. DeMarco's conduct of self-publicizing. I mean, I follow Nick DeMarco on Twitter. Um, that's not, I, I wouldn't say that he's a self-publicist. No, no, no. He, 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 he shares pictures of his, you know, his paintings that he does and, and his hobbies. There's nothing yeah. self-publicizing about it. Although he did, I think he put out a series, well, he quote retweeted, I think, the Sun article he was mentioned in, but. You yeah, know. but I, I, you know, I would, I would expect that to be fair. And, yeah, um, you know, I mean, he's got quoted in an article. And as he says, um, I think when he was in one of the email exchanges with Mr. McLean, that he was expressing his personal opinion, not necessarily that of his client. Yes. Um, we come to the sanction then. I mean, for, for me, I mean, I, I agree with you, Nick. So I think it, the 
the, speaking about the if you if you look at it in isolation, speaking starting to talk about the All Blacks, and I might bring you in with it, on this as well, Ian. If you if you're going to start comparing and alleging that people are dealt with differently, you, you're kind of verging into allegations of corruption and bias within a an, an organisation. And whilst you might have a suspicion, it's it's quite another thing to to say it out loud. And secondly, whilst I don't agree with the level at which they've come in with the collateral damage comment, it it it, it was clumsily put. Whether or not we should be here as a result of it is another matter. But you, you you'd be hard say to say that, that that those were correct things to say. Ian, do you think? I mean, I have uh, to say, sorry, Ian, you go. Oh no, um, yeah. I mean, I don't see any value in engaging in water boutery, um, particularly sort of from a legal standpoint. So. Like you said, for the SRU to claim someone else would be treated differently when there's no precedent for it. I mean, we could all have our own opinions about that, but for somebody in a position of power like Mark Dodson is to openly say it was, um, I'd say, clumsy at best. Nick. I mean, I have, part of me wonders, yeah, emotions were running high, nobody behaved terribly well. Um, and I was thinking yesterday, I was thinking, you know, how could the whole situation have been managed better? And this is with the benefit of hindsight. I genuinely think what the SRU should have done is gone straight to the Japanese camp and gone, look, we want this game to be played because we want to get through to the quarterfinal. You want this game to be played because if you get through to the quarterfinal, you want it to be on merit, not by default. So why don't we present a united front? Mm. The massive benefit would have been, of course, I mean, the Japanese team were the ones who were going to be most impacted by the typhoon. You know, their family, their friends, all of that are there. So you present a united front at a press conference and say, we are desperately keen for this game to go ahead. And, you know, then then you don't get Jamie Joseph saying that he's quite insulted by, you know, Scotland, the, the assumption from the Scotland camp that Japan want the game cancelled or postponed. Um and I think it would just have been, it would have been made it a lot more difficult for World Rugby to cancel the game. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that that's that's something that come has come out of this, and we we've talked about in the past is that, that there seems to be an issue within the Scottish Rugby Union, and we and we've seen it this weekend, and it's probably worth bringing this in now to talk about is that their their crisis communications strategy is almost non-existent, and if you're going to start. Well, I think they- but I think it should be burnt. Yes. I mean, it's just bloody awful. It's just, you know, that this, at a time like this, words needed to be chosen very carefully. And and like you said earlier, that there are ways of, of saying the things that the SRU said and making the points they made and making them forcibly without without leaving yourself open to charges like this you know it's perfectly possible yeah. to say we but you know we it was fine to say they're taking legal advice but the headlines might say SRU threatened to sue but the SRU never never in fact actually said that they said we've taken legal advice but but to to it to not and and, and a, you know Mark Dodson's responding to questions but you've got to know what the line is and what your point is you're trying to get across and 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 what what you know any good journalist will try and steer you to making a point that you don't want to make in the interest of making a story out of it so so whether or not that's a, and you know that that could be a training issue that they you know that the people higher up in the SRU don't think they need media training or they've had it and they need new media training or there's just it's just the kind of thing we know what we're doing and it'll work out fine and then this happens and, and and what I was alluding to earlier is there was an incident with uh, I don't know if you saw this Nick I know you, you you've picked up on it in there Stuart Cameron who I has did, yeah. has yeah. covered Scottish rugby particularly in the borders for many years and I, and I've met Stuart and and he's a lovely guy and um he was I think well he believed the SRU said he couldn't film club games anymore the SRU said that's not what we said we've clarified it. They then said we've asked him asked him to retract his statement, but in actual fact he hadn't been asked to retract anything. And then they wrote to all the clubs in the border saying we've asked him to retract his statement. And then they had to go and apologise him for saying that. So it's a real me- there's just no clear communication, and you there is whether or I not. Yeah, I don't believe for a second that Stuart Cameron would have misinterpreted an email like that. No, I mean I, d- I just I don't see how you could misinterpret an email like that. Um, but it, I think it goes back further than that. I mean, when the Keith Russell case happened, what, 18 months ago, mm. um, you know, I mean, the SRU were not tactful in their comments about the judgment afterwards. And 
sometimes you just sometimes you have to know when to say nothing mm. or when or when to say something really bland like um we'll go away and review our, our procedures yes which doesn't actually mean anything it just means that you don't have to have an uncomfortable conversation and you're not going to get caught out but i mean they definitely yeah it's it's really i don't know what's going on with their communications and has been for the last couple of years but it's really not good my my suspicion and i can't you know that this is only a suspicion is that the, the the issue doesn't lie with the people within sort of the media or the communications department itself but lies somewhere you know you you look at the behaviors elsewhere and the way things have been driven through in scottish rugby and the way things have mm. have happened and and have been communicated communicated elsewhere where it's not been through the the you know the 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 kind of media and, and communications team where it's kind of, whether these things are coming down from on high from people who think they know better than perhaps the advice they might even be giving getting internally who think that they can say whatever they want or or, or they or aren't prepared to make bland statements because they think they're in the right or just actually don't take the time to have media training yeah or prepare for an interview I mean, it, it could actually be something as simple as that. Mm. I mean, certainly in my sort of proper job for the moment, um, I mean, I do management consultant. I've done, um, I used to work for Virgin Money. And when they took over the sponsorship of the London Marathon, so I think the first year we ran the marathon was 2010. And we put everybody, I mean, senior management right the way down, the only person who didn't attend was Richard Branson, but we put them all through some serious communications training, basically in case something went wrong at the marathon. What do you say? What do you not say? When do you keep your mm. mouth shut? And it's hard because I've done, I've done a day's media training and it's really hard. If you're sat in front of a determined journalist, it is really hard to steer the call, you know, to, to not say the things that you don't want to say because they'll pick up on anything that you say. So, so that to have a considered response is so important and yeah. to be care, you know, to have a plan. And it's not just what you say, it's what you don't say. It's your body language, all of that. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, that's how they get their stories. Um, I mean, certainly going back to what you were saying about the suing for damages, I think that was something that Nick DeMarco alluded to in either an interview with the Sun or with the Telegraph. Mm. But it was alluded to. It was not specifically mentioned. But then the Telegraph ran with a with a a headline. Yeah. But the SR, you've got no control over that. I don't think they can be held responsible for what somebody puts as a headline. They can't. But I suppose you you again if, if, through media training you you have if you yeah. give somebody a line like that, that's the headline they'll go with. Exactly, and that's that's where the media training I think is. You know, I mean, I'm saying the SRU can't be held responsible for it, but equally they can't pass the buck for it either. No, because that's it. They need to go. It, 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 certainly by the time some of the comments were happening, probably by the time of the team announcement, which I think came late, comes later in the day after the Radio 4 interview. Yeah, and I, yeah, by that is, point, yeah. they, they, they have a clear idea of how the story is developing. So they, at that point, need to have adapted their what they were saying to, to kind mm. of maybe roll back on a couple of points they'd said or make it clear, you know, we're not, talking about suing anybody we were just considering our options where you know and, and and be a little bit more contrite by that point in the day while still saying that they'll do everything in their power to get the game played and like you said bringing japan into it as well because there clearly are relationships with the you know with with the japan rugby union there because we've got a game happening next november they've got close but, links with um, yeah it's it's interesting how the sru are trying to take credit for that because those games aren't organized by the sru they're organized by world cup by um world rugby are they? Are they? I thought that the tests yeah. were kind of all oh, right. No, so it's organised by World Rugby, and I mean the schedule's been out for. It, it they clarify and confirm everything about twelve months ahead of schedule. Mm. Um, well, six to twelve months. The SRU ha and I have arguments about that every so often when I phone up and say, "Why is it in the Australian press that we're playing them? When are the tickets going on sale?" And they go, "We don't know what you're talking about." Um, <laughs> but I mean that's actually that's got very little to do with with um, the SRU. Um, what I did notice was that the SRU Twitter account and Dominic Mackay both put out tweets after the, um, after it was announced the Independent um, Disciplinary Committee would be meeting. They both put out tweets in, in Japanese um, expressing support for Japan in the quarterfinal. Mm. 
I also it, it smacked of a charm offensive. Well, it also was interesting. I don't. I mean, you, I'm interested in your take on this, Ian, because it, it kind of struck me today as I was listening to the Blood and Mud podcast, and it struck me today that there was that tweet that the SRU sent out, you know, wishing England good luck as well, which mm-hmm. enraged a number of people. But you do wonder, Ian, whether or not that you know they're, they're trying to make friends and influence people. Um, yeah, well, seeing as like we've already mentioned the Nations League and also this disaster um, of uh, PR, that SRU just seemed to lurch from PR disaster, PR disaster. Um, trying to build bridges with powerful nations like England. Um, obviously, there was a the whole voting for the World Cup as well, uh, which so raised the ire of, of our Irish counterparts. Um, so, But this is the thing, like, with the, if we take the Stuart Cameron incident, there was just this sort of code of silence from the SRU. You know, as soon as the news came out, you would have thought, hang on, we're getting a lot of grief here. Somebody should come out and fight this fire. But instead, you know, you have to wait for them to then deal with Stuart Cameron and he relays the message sort of uh, second hand so you would you know you, you kind of wonder what the uh, what the media and comms team are doing I think the other thing as well what was particularly interesting with the Stuart Cameron thing is just how much they'd they'd underestimated the kind of the the, the strength of feeling that they would be with that I mean you know Stuart Cameron someone's well respected within Scottish club rugby particularly um and and I know you know for you know he interviewed my dad and my brother when they were president and and captain at, at Berwick and that you know to, to have something like that for my family was very special and you, you've got to imagine the number of videos he's produced over the years of special moments for other families and individuals where he's you, you wouldn't have had these games taped or these moments captured on film to, for the SRU to completely underestimate you know the backlash that would then come as a result of it or was coming their way when Stuart Cameron made the announcement again speaks that they're not necessarily in touch with with the wider game and, and, and the feelings within it. No, and also, you know, they, they're constantly being um, accused of undermining grassroots rugby. So, you know, something like this just helps to fuel that, that fire. Um, so it does seem, um, obviously, you know, we've looked at the quality of Stuart's work, and it's all very good, and, and it helps to spread the word. He's kind of doing their job for them, um, essentially. And then this is the sort of thanks you get. So they should realise, especially somewhere like the borders, where rugby is such a you know big community thing. Um, so it's it's going to enrage the people who who are accusing the SRU of um, ignoring club rugby and grassroots rugby. Yeah. Um, Ian, you you probably know the answer to this. I think I read somewhere that the Super Six coverage there's going to be highlights or something on BBC. And the SRU were actually paying yeah, for that to be. They're funding that. Yep, yeah, they're they're footing the bill for Super Six um, to be broadcast on the BBC website and on their own website. Um, so surely, if, I mean, it just with a business head on me, if you've got somebody like Stuart Cameron who's doing a great job, he's doing it for free. Um, you know, everybody. I mean, I don't think anybody has got a bad word to say about him. All his stuff is of really high quality. Why on earth would you? St- would you not encourage that? I mean, it um, just seems ridiculous. Yeah, well, Super Six has its detractors. I mean, obviously, um, you know, it's uh, sort of Dodson's baby. It's. I mean, it's an interesting thing because the the like I said the the whole when you consider things as a whole, as we're being asked to do with all the quotes in the run up to this, when you when you look at the things as a whole, it's surprising i think that the council aren't looking at these things now and saying well look now we've got a list now we've got the keith russell incident and the things that came out of that we we've had other things that have gone on we've 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 got the way that super six was 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 handled whether whether you like it or not that was pretty pretty poorly handled at times and then you've got the this this now this incident and and whether or not you agree with 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 what maybe what, what did or didn't happen there has been a, a quite a large fallout from all of those incidents and you add them up and it speaks of there being quite a significant cultural issue within scottish rugby hmm. and perhaps you know perhaps that kind of attitude of the, the kind of you know bulldozing things through has been necessary to force change in scottish rugby that's needed for a number of years but that you know we, we're in a we're in a better period now and it maybe just needs a different approach and the question I guess is whether or not those in charge are, are capable of, of changing the way they manage things I guess 
Well, you know, I mean, on the pitch, we keep talking about how the players saying, oh, you know, we'll learn from these mistakes. Um, and it seems to be just a endemic throughout the entire thing from the boardroom to the pitch, say, oh, we'll learn from this. But lessons don't seem to be getting learned. And I think, um, I mean, whether or not they can change, I don't know the individual's concerned. Um, but I don't think perceptions of them, I think it's going to change an awful lot to change people's perceptions of their behaviour. Mm. Um, I just, I think it's it's been going on for so long now and it has, I mean, I think the Super 6 is a prime example. It was just bulldozed through. And of course that gets everyone's backs up and it could turn out to be the best thing ever for Scottish rugby, but it's going to take a hell of a lot to prove that because people are, you know, a lot of people are already on the back foot as far as it's concerned. They're, they're negative about it. They don't want to know. Um, but I think, I mean, the real damage that I think has been done to Scottish rugby by this behaviour is that we don't seem to have any friends in the rugby community at the moment. And I do wonder if it had been, if we had, if the SRU had a better relationship with world rugby, would these charges even have been brought? Would somebody have been able to go and have a quiet word and go, do you know what? That really wasn't a clever comment to make. Wind your neck in. Mm. And we're, you know, we're all on the same side here. We all want the game to, to take place. Um, so just tone it down a bit. And, you know, but it, it just, it seemed to escalate so quickly that, I mean, part of me does wonder who Dodson, to put it politely, who Dodson has pissed off in Dublin because he's clearly pissed off quite a lot of people. Well, we've said before there's certainly, you know, that there's definitely somebody within World Rugby or associated with World Rugby briefing the media against the Scottish Rugby Union because we've seen the, <laughs> you know, you see the slide comments, particularly in The Guardian, about they were the, you know, it's it's got, you know, the SRU are the only one stopping World League, which is utter nonsense. They but can't but that's have been the only one stopping World League. I mean, that just. But yeah. that's that's a narrative that's presented by more than one rugby writer, and mm. it can't be those those thoughts aren't just appearing to them unbidden. They've been in a bar chatting to somebody, you know, they, somebody's had a word yeah. in their ear, and and all of a sudden, then I don't know whether or not Scottish rugby have picked up what that 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 narrative is building. Whether they've they've been quick enough to pick up on that and and to start dealing with it because like you said the effect of accuracy, they've got two options now. Either they, you go on a charm offensive, which I think unfortunately, well. Unfortunately for some, I think means some significant changes at the top in order to yeah. be put yourself in a position where politically you can say that was the old us, this is the new us and mm-hmm. make a clean break of it. Or you, to, to, to take a phrase from, from the Godfather, you go to the mattresses and you bring tier two nations with you and say, look how badly they're treating us. Look, we're the whipping boys of tier one. You know, we know you've got it worse. Let you know you come along with us. Let's 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 go to the mattresses together. But I don't think that I don't think anybody wins out of that. No, and I don't think. I think if we hadn't got people like Jamie Joseph offside with all of this, that approach would have been feasible. I don't think it is now. Mm. I think we've we've annoyed too many people. I mean, I think charm offensive. I mean, I think you're right. I think it, they have to bring in a couple of new people, probably somebody senior in communications, to and don't put Dodson anywhere near a journalist. Yeah, I mean that, that that simple. That he will issue quotes to the media, and that is it. But I mean, clearly, and I'm, I'm definitely not having a go at him here. It's there are a lot of chief executives who are the same. It's definitely not speaking to the press is not his forte. No, and that's and fine. And there's, there's plenty of organisations that would do that. Yeah. that you know, that would would yeah. put out a spokesperson and would put out written quotes from the CEO mm. because it's not necessarily the, the CEO's job to be the face of the organisation. They're there to make things yeah. profitable and run correctly. So there would be nothing wrong with that. I mean, I guess that's probably why they kept Scott Johnson in a cupboard for years, isn't it? <laughs> best, best place for him. Yeah. Um, well, I think as well, like, to touch on something you were saying earlier, I remember Dave Barnes had said, you know, Alan Gilpin just made a beeline for English journalists and completely ignored the Scottish journalists. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, I remember reading that. And you've and got... That's, that's not a good look. And, I mean, that doesn't reflect well on him because, quite honestly, he should have been the bigger person at that point and gone and had a chat to the Scottish journalists and, you know, using the phrase again, you know, being a grown-up. Mm. But you can see, I mean, you know, for all the good... And the, and there is, I would say, and, and this isn't being biased, but I think that, that that Scottish rugby writing at the moment 
is of 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 some of the highest standard mm. in world rugby at the minute. I think it's absolutely superb when you look at some of the sort of one-eyed, you know, <laughs> biased reporting you get elsewhere. And that's not just against Scotland, but that you know that the. The, the, there are good rugby writers outside of Scotland, a few and far between. I think we've got a good stock of rugby writers who are critical, right, quite rightly critical of Scottish rugby at times, uh, and will praise it when praise is due. But it, it's all balanced and it's all fair. But we've got to also accept that our place in the world is that you know rugby is still a minority sport in Scotland. It's still not as dominant as football, and 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 Scottish rugby writers maybe don't have the same influence as someone you know the writers at the Telegraph or the Guardian unfortunately, for as, as bad as they all are. I mean, I have to say, actually, I agree with you. I mean, I think the, the level of writing um, sports journalism generally in Scotland is a high standard. Rugby, I think it's it's exceptional. Um, it's, it's very well informed. It's very well balanced. And when you then go and read some of the tripe that is published elsewhere, you realise just how good it is. Um, but I think, I mean, I don't know. I think the SRU, I think, I think they need a proper crisis manager, eh, naturally. Yeah. Um, somebody with enough gravitas to, to say to the people at the top, no, you're not doing that. Or, do you know what? You are going to have to apologise for this and you're going to have to suck it up because if it gets appealed or it gets reviewed, the worst case scenario is, you know, we're docked four points, we're having to qualify for the next Rugby World Cup. You lose your job. Mm. Because, yeah. I mean, because quite honestly, if that did happen... I don't see how the people at the top, I don't see how their positions could continue to be tenable. No. Um, and I would feel incredibly sorry for somebody like Gregor Townsend for the squad because suddenly you're having to play all these extra games and it's it's not because you performed poorly, it's because somebody didn't have the nice to say sorry when they should have done or yeah. when they were backed into a corner. I mean, it's not even now about right or wrong, it's about seeing the bigger picture. Mm. No, I think you're right. I think that the, the you wonder though, you know, this, you know, the 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 SIU compromise, which was, I think, a donation of money, but that that both sides expressed mutual regret. Um, do you think World Rugby and the SIU, well, World Rugby should have snapped the SIU's hand off for that in given where we are now? I think um, they should have negotiated a bit more. Yeah, because they just come across as very pig-headed as well. I mean, their their failure to admit that. Um, the contingency plans they had in place simply weren't suitable. I mean, for example, we've mentioned this before, the contingency plan was to move the game 14 miles away. And, you know, <laughs> any typhoon, I'm pretty sure, is going to have a larger impact than a 14-mile radius. So, you know, that was poorly thought out. But they've dug their heels in. They have more backing, uh, obviously, financially and in terms of um, media present representation, how they can get things out uh, into the wider world. Um, so... I mean, the thing is, that we, like we've said, you know, we don't seem to have a lot of friends. Uh, but like Nick said, is it time that we just maybe wind our necks and just accept this punishment? There you go. There's your 70 grand. We're so sorry. We won't do it again. Um, but, you know, maybe behind closed doors, be thinking completely differently. Yeah. I mean, this is the, the, the difficulty I have, Nick. I'm interested in your thing is like how you can ever make a meaningful apology if you're told to do it. Oh, I think I could come up with some words. <laughs> the only thing was the Father Ted thing. I think I tweeted at the time. I was like, I'm so so sorry. I can I can come up with a meaningful apology for a large fee. <laughs> but, um, no, I mean I think but I think that's the thing. If they had a crisis man, a proper crisis manager in place, or if they had um, a communications director who could actually get stuff through i mean that yeah there's ways of phrasing things you know that um that can convey that basically i mean what you'd be trying to convey is that you're sorry it got to this point but you're not actually that sorry about the action that you took yes so you're sorry that you're sorry that um the situation the situation was incredibly over emotion yeah emotions were heightened um language reflected that and was used carelessly and for that you apologize yes i'm sorry you think no, you yeah. deserve i'm sorry that, you think you deserve an apology yeah. not not quite but <laughs> if you use that that's trademarked <laughs> but yeah i mean there's there's ways and means you can there's some very diplomatic wording you could come up with that 
yeah covers your backside basically that's what it says on the tin but the tin's empty kind of thing yes yes sure and we've had a couple of uh, suggestions on twitter um for what they should do um Andy Niven says, we donate £100,000 to the Japanese Relief Fund of our choosing and ignore World Rugby's request for an apology. That's an interesting one, wouldn't it be? Just to say, well, we've donated £100,000 and then issue something saying we express regret, which is what they said they would do anyway. Or do you think we then get into kind of an hour? Do you think that escalates things, Nix? I think I think we'd end up... I think, I think it would be amusing. <laughs> um, I, think we'd, I think we'd end up in some sort of standoff. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's got to the point now we're going to have to pay lip service to this, if if nothing else. And I mean, I've been told that the seventy thousand pounds is going to the Rugby World Cup Limited charity, which is Child Fund or something. So I mean, what you could do is donate, and I don't see the SRU doing this because I don't think their pockets are deep enough. But you could donate the seventy thousand pounds. The, the fine and then donate another 70,000 to the um, to the Typhoon Disaster Relief Fund and say we're sorry it came to this yes yeah um, the other one then come if it's smelling really really quite good yeah um, the other one I liked Gillian McKenzie which I, I think this is what we should go for is pay it in iron brew bottles and pennies <laughs> That's a hell of a lot of iron brew bottles and pennies. I know. Is it still twenty p? Where do we have to get no, them to? Because if, if we have to get them to Dublin, that could that could be problematic. If World Rugby has to come and collect it, not not so much of an issue. See, they've they've stopped doing that now. The uh, the bottle oh. return, and also then you also have to think, you know, the World Rugby like look at the carbon footprint about sending all these iron brew bottles over to pay off. off. I still people in uh, because I live down in England now. People in England are still absolutely aghast at the fact that there used to be a guy on a milk float delivering fizzy pop brown bananas estate. Really? No, it's just a, just a Scottish thing, I think. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so so we are where we are. I think we 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 come to the conclusion that the SRU are at fault and they are bang to rights. However, everybody's. I think that I think the um, I think uh, Blood and Mud put it best when they said, "Well, every union in the world is an arsehole. <laughs> and I World Rugby are arseholes too." Actually. Yeah. Um, and so it's the world of arseholes and union. Yeah, and we are allowed to say that, although we we don't swear on this podcast. That that word is fine according to the BBC pre-watershed guidance. So um, apologies to anyone listening with a child, but that that's fine. We've checked. We do know what words we're allowed to say. Um, we. I mean, the seventy. We we probably think Scott, the, they should just pay pay up and and say sorry and move on. Probably need some to to work a, a little bit more savvy. I think the ramifications if we don't. I mean, the risk if we don't is is too great. And I mean, it's 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 not a great situation. None of us wish it. We all wish it hadn't come to this. But quite honestly, yeah, I. I think it needs to be put to bed. Yes. So it's like, like if we have to do extra qualification matches, it's going to in the long run cost a lot more than seventy thousand pounds yeah. to arrange extra travel and what have you. Um, so yeah, and the maybe pressure just... on the squad and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's um, it's not the <laughs> it's not the most positive of notes to end on, but uh, but there we are. Um, hopefully, we, we we thought it would be more worth doing a podcast on this than doing a blog article because we we hopefully have covered things in a lot more detail than you can do um, in a blog article and 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 uh, put some sort of enlightenment on some of the uh, finer details of things. Um, Nick, thank you very much for joining us and for for your expertise. I think uh, Ian and I probably would have stumbled through that were it not for you. Oh, thank you. That's very kind. You're very welcome. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, good. Uh, and Ian, um, we'll be back. Oh, it's, it's European weekend. It is. Um, and of course, I won't get to go because I'll be away down at Ayrshire Bulls working. Well, but, uh, better, better, you're in a better place with Gordon Reid. I'll catch you all on BT Sport later. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And don't forget, folks, we are, um, although it's sale at home, uh, we have got our Orinoco Flow away day planned in January uh, for sale away, yes. sale away, sale away. Yeah, I've still not been able to find um, like the La Rochelle and Exeter tickets. I've received an email from the Warriors about them, so I don't have the tickets yet. But I'll get, I'll get, I'm on that. Don't worry. Good, good, good. Yes. So stay tuned. We're all meeting up in 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 Manchester for a for for an afternoon 
uh, an evening of rugby. Um, for the moment, though, um, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Nix and Ian. Cheerio. Cheerio. Yeah, he, yeah, he, this coat is now in session. His honor, Judge Pigmeat Mark and Poseidon. It's just about ready to do that thing. I don't want no tears, I don't want no lies. Above all, I don't want no alibis. This judge is hip, and that ain't all. He'll give you time if you're big or small. Fall in line or this coat is neat. Peace, brother. Whoa, here come the judge. Here come the judge. Everybody know that he is the judge.